Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. The nominees are, for her hilarious depiction of a woman who passes herself off as a man pretending to be a woman, Julie Andrews and Victor Vittoria. For her riveting portrayal of the beautiful but tortured actress whose star was a comet that burned out too soon, Jessica Lange in Francis. For her compelling realism as a frustrated wife caught between revolution and bureaucracy, Sissy Spacek in Missy. For her astonishing versatility in bringing William Styron's victim from the printed page to the screen, Meryl Streep in Sophie's Choice. For her beguiling honesty as the winsome factory worker who makes a gentleman out of an officer, Deborah Winger. No matter what the decision, they've all made film history, and I commend you all. And the winner is Marvelous Meryl Streep. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the one of the greatest performances of all time winners, Meryl Streep for the movie Sophie's Choice. Um, the ceremony year is 1983. And uh, today we are joined by one of my favorites, one of my friends. Um, her episode of Son of a Critch that she was a writer for premiered and it is available on CBC Gem. And she's also a writer on season two of Run the Burbs. It's Catherine Niker. Hi, Catherine. Hi. How's it going? Oh, my God. So good. I'm so happy that you could do this. Oh, my pleasure. I love appearing on this podcast and I'm always so excited uh, when you ask me. I love diving into these years and and... I love uh, rediscovering or discovering uh, really old classic movies. I mean, there were a couple in here. There, this this year of nominees was so interesting because, like, when you because when you're watching because this this role has been historically described as like the grading the greatest acting performance of all time by many people. So you're kind of just curious, like. I mean, is it even worth doing the episode? Because clearly this is a slam dunk. So I was curious to see if there would be some strong competitors in here. And I think, I mean, we'll get into it. I think there was maybe one really strong competitor. Mm -hmm. And then there was one nominee that it was like, maybe you shouldn't have been here. And it's just sort of really interesting to me how uh, a lot of these actors going into the Oscars that night were probably like, yeah, I don't have a hope in hell of winning this award. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting about sort of seeing like who the competition was and maybe why. Um, because, I mean, it's this is the movie that made Meryl Streep Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? Um, yes, Absolutely. So we'll get into that. But before we do, I just will say a little quick uh, housekeeping. So Best Actor in 1983 at the ceremony went to Ben Kingsley for the movie Gandhi. Best Supporting Actor went to uh, Louis Gossett Jr. for Officer and a Gentleman. What a gem. We'll talk about that. Best Supporting Actress went to Jessica Lange for Tootsie. And I have a very strong feeling that was a consolation for Francis. We'll also talk Mm. about that. Um, best director went to Richard Attenborough for Gandhi, and best picture went to Gandhi. I have never seen the movie Gandhi, and now I want to. I I watched it so so long ago, 
it, it would be interesting to rewatch it. But I remember thinking at the time it was a good biopic, but it was also like 20 years ago, at least the, the, when I watched it. Did you have to watch it in school? I think I did watch it in school. I think a lot of people told me that they've seen this movie, but they've only seen it in, in, in school. I've never, I'd be curious to watch it though. The only thing that I really know Ben Kingsley from is house of sand and fog. Oh yeah. I feel like he, he has an interesting career. Not that this uh, podcast is about men or anything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a, a very interesting career. Cause he, I think even after Gandhi, he has so many like, supporting roles in in movies that you like almost forget that like he's in them Mm -hmm. okay before we even get into these uh nominees on these movies i just have to okay so the date is march 30th 2022 the oscars just (laughs) happened on sunday let us talk about the smackdown of chris rock by will smith were you watching it? And what did you think? Yeah. So I was tuning into the Oscars and uh, watched all of this go down in real time. And like a lot of people, I thought it was a bit. Right. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's Will Smith and Chris Rock. Like when you, when you think about it, it's like they have been so famous for so long. You know, so yeah, of course I thought it was a bit and it wasn't until you could see Will like yelling at him that I was like, oh, wait, this is not a bit. And then immediately went to Twitter and like shout out to uh, Japanese television and Australian television for having the audio uh, that everyone got to share. So then we could see uh, what really happened. Oh my god. Okay, so first of all, we were all Lupita Nyong'o in the background. Yeah, Okay, we were all like, what the fuck? Because at first, whenever he made the joke about G.I. Jane, which by the way, it is such a like, eh, joke. Like, it's not even really that funny, nor do I really think that it's offensive. Listen, the fact that she has alopecia, I had no, no one, I thought, because now it's very fashionable to have like the shaved head, she looks gorgeous, no one knew yeah so whenever he said that it was like okay like i can understand like why you would react because when she rolled her eyes at the joke i thought that was really funny because it was a stupid joke and then when she rolled her eyes it was like oh that's a really funny reaction to a really stupid joke yes and then you see him get on stage and it was like oh they're about to do like a bit and then when he hit him Uh, my jaw was on the floor. I had like anxiety. I was getting the ass crack sweat. I was getting really, I was like, oh my God. Like I was experiencing anxiety because I, because as a performer, maybe like that was just really triggering for me or something because like. We're both standups and we like, we say things that maybe people don't like sometimes, although we're not inherently trying to be offensive. Like there's something that Chris Rock said that I feel like has not been repeated enough that as a comedian made me really laugh. And that is as Will Smith is walking back to his seat, he says, really? A G.I. Jane joke? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) It's like Like, even he knows this is a hack joke. Knowing Chris Rock, he probably wrote so many jokes about Will and Jada and then decided that that was the one that was like the most safe to tell. (laughs) 
and it was, you know, it, it arguably like objectively was. And when it happened, I remember I was just like, okay, first of all, like he should have been thrown out immediately because that is a felony. That is assault. There are millions of witnesses, yeah, all the people coming, but like all the people coming to his defense. And it's just like, no, it, it was, is. It's like, if you're the Oscars, it's a real like damned if you do damned if you don't situation because they have been trying to escape the Oscars is so white thing for so long mm-hmm. and they know Will Smith is going to win and he's Will Smith. Yeah. So it's like if they kick him out, that's a whole other outrage that the Oscars have to deal with that I think would be even greater than the outrage of not kicking him out. I mean, like they're screwed either way. I mean, I know what you're saying, but I do believe that it does set a precedent where it's like, well, if you are going to assault somebody, but you are like a mega star, like it's fine. Yeah. There's sort of this sort of double standard where what, what, uh, oh, do you remember, do you remember years ago? It was, um, oh my gosh, what was her name? She is very monotonous. It's like Amber, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? She was on that show like Parks and Rec and she had gone up to, uh, Will Smith uh, oh, what is her name? Amber oh, Aub- Aubrey, oh, Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Okay, that was okay. So Aubrey Plaza years ago, she had gone up to Will Smith at the uh, MTV Movie Awards, and as a joke, because she was trying to promote her film on her chest, she wrote like hashtag the name of the film. And as a joke, she tries to like she runs up on stage and tries to grab his like award out of his hand, and then Will uh, Will Ferrell is like what what are you doing? And then he just kind of was like, it was this weird bit that didn't land. And then Aubrey Plaza got kicked out of the award show because it was she did like that to Will a, Ferrell to Will Ferrell. Sorry. Okay. Did I say Will Smith? At one point you did. Yeah. That's all Sorry. Right. So Will, Will Ferrell. Okay. She did this to Will Ferrell and then she got thrown out and then there was like a little bit of coverage about it. It was just kind of like a weird moment. But I'm like, yeah, like she should be thrown out because she fucked up the broadcast. But also that was just like a really awkward, weird thing. And also it was very unpredictable. And it was like, what the fuck? Will Smith literally assaulted someone in front of millions of people. And they were like, yeah, he can stay. And it was like, it was all very, um, it all felt very manic, didn't it? Because he initially laughs at the joke. Yes. Right. And then. And then he goes up and then and then and then hits Chris Rock. And then the way he saunters away and then yells, it's like like I like I one of the things I tweeted that night was like honest question, is Will Smith okay? Yeah, right. Because I was like, this guy's not okay. And I think when things like this happen, or like, you know, like when guys like they get into a fight and it's like, who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? It's never about the fact that the guy looked at you the wrong way. It's like something happened either like earlier in that day or there's some other like unrepressed trauma. And for whatever reason, in that moment, it was at the surface. I think that that is a very good point. I also do think, though, that an alternative opinion to that would just be that he is so engrossed in his own 
little bubble of narcissism with his ridiculous family and his nepotism children <laughs> that he cannot handle criticism, period. Well, I think both things can be true. Um, I think so, because, too. <laughs> <laughs> because the speech afterwards, in my opinion, was high level narcissism <laughs> like to be like i like god has called upon me i'm paraphrasing yeah. but we've all seen this speech god has called upon me to be a vessel for love 20 minutes right. after you hit somebody know. on the same stage on the same spot like that is high level narcissism and then he probably yeah. already had this like prepared speech about uh about the film and, and and about uh king richard and how uh he's also like this family man you know and then try to like edit the speech to mm -hmm. to talk about the moment but you could tell he was still trying to process like what yeah. had happened and then ended up saying some things that are like not okay like you know like love will make you do like crazy things and it's right. like but it shouldn't though and, <laughs> and, and the i the irony of it is is that it only created thousands of more jokes i i know i mean some of the memes i'm not gonna share them but some of the <laughs> memes have really killed me like the fresh prince like parodies also there was yeah. uh footage of him and uh, like on an Ar arsenio hall there's a dated reference uh yeah where he made an alopecia joke 100%. on the arsenio like, hall show i mean so long ago but still i know it's anyway okay and, so and he's this... probably at home like really i made an alopecia joke on arsenio <laughs> hall? damn damn ago i made an alopecia joke on tv like what are the odds i know that's so it's so specific okay well anyway all this to say it, it was just a wild moment that i think will eclipse his oscar win for the rest of his career yeah i okay. mean that'll be you know you know chris rock is writing a whole hour on it right now oh but... <laughs> he he's not pressing charges because he's making millions off of this yeah 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 okay Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about the 1983 Oscar Best Actors category. So the first film that I want to talk about because I'm kind of doing bookends here is going to be, excuse me, Jessica Lange in the movie Francis, mm. um, portraying the actress Francis Farmer. And in this movie, it's essentially like a biopic that is not actually accurate, um, but it is. I would arguably say probably Jessica Lange's best on-screen performance that I have seen ever. Um, it is so incredibly believable. Basically, there's this part of the... What I love so much about the movie is you can't really tell if she actually was mentally ill or if the people that she was surrounded by just couldn't handle that. Like a woman was like an independent thinker and wanted to do her own thing and rebel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I loved that sort of um, interesting, like you can decide moment. Uh, I will just say right off the top uh, at the end of the movie, this is a what one, two, three, this is like a 40 year spoiler alert. I can do math. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to count on my hand cause I'm stupid. Uh, she in the end of the movie uh gets an involuntary lobotomy 
this was actually based off of the uh, biography uh, that this guy had written by William Arnold's uh, biography called Shadowland in 1978 because it said that she had been lobotomized in his biography. But then when the movie came out, because they insisted that they did not reference his work for the movie, he said, well, I made that up. Oh, wow. So they were like, so he just, and the judge was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, you just completely perjured yourself. You just lied uh, about your own book, your own biography. And then now you're calling out uh, a, a film institution for yep. perpetuating the lie that you created. Well, yeah, like I was just going to say, like, they're both liars. They're both liars in that moment. <laughs> so she wasn't actually lobotomized. That didn't happen. Wow. But she was an alcoholic and she did apparently like smoke the reefer. Well, I mean, like, that's so bizarre because why would, um, as a storyteller, why would you feel compelled to make something like that up? Like, I think, um, there to me, before that moment even happened, there was enough of a crisis point in that film mm -hmm. that. To, for it to be fiction doesn't even feel necessary. I know. And, uh, okay, so just a couple more things before we, like, actually get into the story and the performance. So mm -hmm. this is actually Anthony Hopkins' favorite performance by an actress, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> Sam Shepard, who was, like, that ongoing love interest, which, by the way, Sam Shepard's character was not a real person. This was just for, like, the Hollywood version. Oh, okay. They ended up getting together and having two kids after this movie. Um uh, Jessica Lang being nominated Wait, for Jessica Lang and that actor? Yes, yeah, oh, Sam Shepard oh, okay. in real life oh. had two children. Okay. Um, this is the first time since 1942 that uh, an actress, Jessica Lang, was nominated for lead and supporting. She won supporting. In the movie, it was funny because mm -hmm. at one point, Frances uh, Farmer gets called Tootsie and she won the Oscar that night for the movie Tootsie, That's just kind of right. a weird coincidence. Yeah. Uh, Angelica Houston was in this movie playing one of the mental patients in the psych ward and uh, uh, Kim Stanley, who was the uh, mother, was nominated for supporting actress for this movie. Okay, mm. so let's just jump into this sort of film. I think that arguably this film and this role was... Meryl Streep's biggest competition that evening. I completely agree. Longer. It is definitely like the best performance that I've seen from Jessica Lange. And if you actually look up the actress, Frances Farmer, she actually kind of looked like her mm. a little bit. And um, basically in the movie, you know, it's like Jessica Lange is like this rebel who wins like an essay contest questioning god so she's labeled a heretic but she's obsessed with like russian theater and plays and she makes headlines she goes to russia then she goes to new york to study to become an actress then she goes to hollywood realizes that she hates the glamour of it and she kind of wants to go the betty davis route where she's a serious artist and then basically the studio system comes collapsing down on her she can't make her own choices um as a woman she can't make her own choices uh, with her own career, she's kind of screwed. And so in a way, she's kind of driven into madness by her mom's ego of her wanting to live vicariously through her daughter. And everything kind of just like blows up in her face and she goes insane. And it is so well done the way that she goes crazy 
because she's not crazy. She's just reacting how like a normal person would react. Or maybe for the time, like at the time she was too much of a free thinker, too much of a modern woman. And for the time that was like, oh, we got to check this bitch or something. I don't know. But like, it was so interesting to see Jessica Lange come off as such a sympathetic character when everyone around her was like, no, you're crazy. And I feel like it could have been like, she could have played it crazy, but she didn't at all. And I think it was just brilliant. Yeah, I I agree. It it actually kind of reminded me of Britney Spears a bit. Yeah. Right? Just like people around her, and it hurts the most when it's also your family, are obsessed with controlling you. Yes. And they're obsessed with controlling you, and they get you into contracts and into these situations where you can't make decisions for yourself. There's even um, a, a power of attorney moment in, mm-hmm. in the film as well and it's just like oh like this is like what britney spears went through but like almost a hundred years ago because the film itself takes place i think from the 30s to the 50s mm-hmm. um yeah so it, it was like it, it was really like i don't know eerie to see how a, like a modern day example yeah uh, of what this character is going through um i guess in the quote-unquote hollywood system and um, I agree, because at first, you know, the film's a bit of a slow burn at the start. I didn't really know where it was going. But once, <laughs> honestly, because like the first half hour, it's like, yeah, I'm a 16 year old atheist. <laughs> and you're like, OK, cute. But <laughs> you know what I mean, and then once yeah. it like really gets into it, you're like, oh, I know what this is about. I'm I'm locked in. Now I'm locked in. Now I get where this is going. And you see this um, slow but steady sort of demise. And it's like it's the fact that everyone else call referred to her as crazy is the thing that slowly um, took a toll on her mental health. But she was never crazy. She was never somebody who had a uh, mental illness until she was like thrown into institutions and mm. told she she had one. And it's really tragic. And there's there's disturbing moments in this movie that are hard to to watch. And um, I thought she she was absolutely brilliant in this movie. There's only one moment that I think, if I'm really nitpicking, that I felt that there was a bit of overacting. She's like okay. she's like at the piano and she's like playing for her mom, and then she turns over to her mom and she starts to have this manic like look in her face. Mm-hmm maybe a bit more manic than will smith but you know what i mean like <laughs> like she has this like manic look in her face and then she's like i'm gonna go for a walk and i, I was like is she gonna kill her mom like i <laughs> right i thought the same I thing was like, is yeah. she gonna kill her mom but then like that doesn't happen and then i felt like okay i think that they oversold that moment because it led us to believe something that didn't happen and i don't know why they did that her character eventually becomes like extremely um, unpredictable and kind of scary, but then she realizes that she doesn't want to go back to Hollywood and then she's kind of acting normal again. And then you're like, okay, so now she's, she seems like she's in a good place like mentally because she's decided that, you know, I don't want to go back to Hollywood. I'm over it. And then it's like, yeah, the everyone that's around her, like her mom specifically 
are literally like, oh, hell no. Like, this isn't about you. This is about me. And then you see her kind of be driven into madness again. Yeah. It's this whole, like, trying to tame, like, a wild horse in a way. And she refused to be tamed. And, like, they were like, oh, well, you're just crazy. And, yeah, like, yeah, there's there's scenes where she's being raped. There are scenes where she's being beaten. There's scenes where she's being lobotomized. Like, it's a very heavy, heavy movie a very dark this has been a very dark year <laughs> for the nominees yeah you know a lot of really fucked up uh shit going on and um you can see the sympathy for her character because you see all the moments that led up to why she threw down with a cop for example or why she refused to go back to hollywood and it was like everything around her was just kind of crumbling and then you kind of see like i guess from an outsider's perspective you would think that she was, you know, quote unquote crazy. But, you know, during this time, like mental health, like wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. And they would just label you as you're nuts and then throw them in the loony bin and lock the key, like throw away the key. Yeah, you know? And all the mental health, um, quote unquote, treatments that did exist were really about controlling people and not yeah. about understanding people. So yeah. she's trying to escape this world where everyone's trying to control her and she keeps losing more and more freedom and that's yeah it's it's really sad it's interesting that you said britney because definitely it was like hashtag free francis because yeah that she was definitely trapped in that but it's interesting that you said britney i actually thought Lindsay lohan Mm. because you know she was an actor and then everything just went crazy and i i remember in the 2000s when Lindsay lohan was having her fucking meltdown but so was Britney at the same time. I remember like being so entertained by it. Like I didn't even think at all, like this is a human being that's going through something uh, that is so horrific and so sad in my head. I was like, Oh, she's doing it on purpose. It's just, it's just like a show. Like, because in my mind, it's like Hollywood isn't real or these people aren't real. Because it's like that's sort of how you're raised to have a relationship with like people on TV and people on screen. It's like, oh, they don't exist. They just exist in your imagination. But it's like, no, no, no. Like this is a real person going through something really fucked up. And we're basically all just sitting around like laughing. Yeah. I have a quick story about that. So yeah. I, uh, it, I'm aging myself, but it's fine. Um, and so until like 2005, <laughs> I was an intern – at, at much music and much more music which are stations okay. that barely exist here but they were basically uh canada's mtv mm-hmm. and uh i it was like prime like britney spears collapse mm-hmm. year and 2007 yeah yeah like 2000 yeah i think i was there in 05 but anyway it was around that time like she'd shaved her head and stuff like that and mm-hmm. Like, my boss, who was in her, like, 40s at the time, was, like, writing all these scripts and, like, you know, kind of, like, running it by other people. And and it was, like, insulting Britney. And I wasn't even a huge Britney fan, per se. But I remember thinking to myself, like, I don't want her job when I'm older. Because it's right. one thing when you're, like, talking to your friends, like you said, like, we were all, like, exactly as you described. But it's one thing when you're just, like, with your friends or you're hanging out and you're, like, yes. oh, yeah, that that girl's crazy. And it's another mm-hmm. thing to be in your 40s, like, mm-hmm. coming up with all these different insults for a person, like, half your age. 
Right. And I just remember thinking like, oh, I don't think I actually want to do this because it, it was just too active of a role in I, the whole thing yeah. for me. But I but I'm not saying I'm better than than anybody because I'm sure I made plenty of jokes at her expense or at Lindsay Lohan's expense or like reading. Um, remember Perez Hilton? And yeah, that, like, I used to read that. I all used the to time. read that blog all the time, you know. So it's like I probably, as just a bystander, had my own hand in it. But I remember mm-hmm. thinking, like, oh, it's like a different level to like cross over and like professionally um, make that a part of your living. I just can't get over um, though how everyone always says the expression history repeats itself and yet no one understands how to learn from it or how to grow. It's like these teachable moments in history and people just don't get it. And it's just so crazy to me. Like, um, but specifically talking about, um, some of the really nice moments that she had in this movie. Um, I think one of the, the whoa moments for me is, do you remember when the police like break into her apartment and she's naked and then she hides in the bathroom and then she tries to cover herself with like the shower curtain or the towel or whatever yeah. it was. And then it's basically like, you know, Jack Nicholson, like in the shining, trying to break through the door and they're coming at her and she is naked, screaming, afraid on the floor. I can't even imagine where or how, like how you would film that scene and like emotionally the place that you have to go to, mm. to achieve that. And it was so that for me was like a oh my god like kind of difficult to watch moment and the police are um, just like laughing at her like there's such oh, a yeah. uh, like a lack of humanity from uh, the people around her. in the whole throughout the whole film yeah. absolutely that was a, a very strong theme and uh i think one of the best moments though was just how much because she's such a strong woman and she's such a she always has like a witty thing to say i loved the relationship that she had with the psychiatrist and the way that she would try to charm him but the way that she would sass him and the way that she would kind of tell him to go fuck himself in like an intelligent way and then just like outright yeah i thought that was kind of really um yeah so anybody listening to this yeah i do want to make it clear the lobotomy did not happen and uh which which is good, but I think that in real life, I think that after all of this shit went down, I think that she just realized that, uh, you know, that she was burnt out from the entire experience for so many valid reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think that she did a little TV thing here and there throughout the 50s. As she died in 1970 at the age of 56, and she died um, alone. But I think in the original um, release of this movie, uh, it was very... The, the institution that had institutionalized her had a, like a statement being like, we were wrong about the way that we handled this oh, and wow. the way that we, yeah, the way that we treat patients with mental illnesses as, you know, since changed and we've improved upon our methods greatly. So, um, you know, it is really scary to think like, I mean, me as like a gay person, I'm like, what if I existed a hundred years ago? You know what I mean? Like, what if I, I don't know, like, I mean, I, I have mental health, health issues, but I have anxiety issues and like that, that's different than somebody who might be schizophrenic or bipolar or something like this, you know, but like, mm-hmm. you know, just count your blessings or I count my blessings that like I am born, you know, in this 
day and age compared to like a hundred years ago where I likely would have, or could have been killed just for existing. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, as a, as a female and a, and a biracial female, I'm completely with you on that. I'm not trying to go back in time either. Um, yeah. yeah. It was- unless, unless you're really a straight white guy, nobody wants a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so weird when people do that whole thing and it's like, you can have the clothes and the music now. Like you don't need to go back in time to have yeah. the, the outfits and the songs or the things that you enjoyed about that era. You can enjoy those things now. Um, okay. So I th- just for time's sake, I do think that we have to yeah. move on, but I do have to say, if you have not seen the movie, Francis, do yourself a favor, go and check it out. Especially if you're a fan of o- old Hollywood, it is definitely Jessica Lange's best. I would put it up there with music box. I love this film and I love this role. You got to check it out. Yeah. Completely agree. Okay. So let's go on to like a lighter note. Let's talk about Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria. Uh. So this was a very interesting year at the Oscars because you had three sort of gender bending roles because you had Dustin Hoffman who was playing a woman in the movie Tootsie for like better acting roles, which is so funny that he thought as a straight white guy, oh, I need to get better acting roles. So I'll just become a woman in the 80s. It's like, oh, yeah, the roles for women were just amazing uh in the 80s um julie andrews obviously was nominated for victor victoria robert preston who was the supporting character the old queen was nominated for a supporting role for victor victoria and john lithgow was nominated for the world according to garp so this was just sort of an unprecedented year that uh a bunch of uh, movies were nominated for uh gender fuckery which is very interesting Mm -hmm. uh victor victoria the film was based on a german movie victor und victoria from 1933 and uh one thing that I thought we'll get into it, but Leslie Ann Warren, who was also nominated for a supporting role, she plays Miss Scarlet in the movie Clue. Uh, she improved that line, lock the door, whenever near the end, Julie Andrews like reveals her like naked body to uh, Leslie Ann Warren to prove to her that she's a woman and she doesn't realize. And she goes, oh my God, get away from me. What are you doing? And then she's like, lock the door. That line was, <laughs> that line was improvised and they kept it. Um, so Julie Andrews, you know, she's, she's very familiar to the, uh, musical theater category, obviously Mary Poppins and the sound of music. This was her third and final Academy Award nomination. This is such a Julie Andrews type of role, but I think that the subject matter made it so interesting and so dangerous, if you will, because it's like, you know, sort of a Marlena Dietrich, very like masculine type of, mm. uh, gender fuckery kind of, uh, performance and a kind of role. You know, if I'm being honest with you, I don't, I, I think that, um, for the time, this was probably extremely groundbreaking and this obviously is a product of its time. So I will consider, um, the performance with that in mind, mm-hmm. but, you know, watching it through the lens of like 2022, you know, to prove that she's a guy, she just cut her hair short. And that's, wow. that's it. <laughs> the illusion is so believable. Like, that was it, yeah, right? I mean, after like 10 years of watching RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> or Boys Don't Cry. Or, you know, there's just a lot of examples of a much better way of making me believe that. Because you remember, like, whenever she sings that song uh, and she's dressed as a female and uh, she's killing it. And then she takes off her wig and her hair is just short. And everybody just goes, oh, it's a boy. Yeah. You're like, what? It just literally looks like her hair is slicked back. But again, it's a product of its time. We'll just 
accept that. I just wanted to acknowledge that and <laughs> just we can, you know, move on from there. But, you know, hey, it's Julie Andrews. She absolutely, you know, um, incredible singer, great performer. And uh, I can understand why at the time this would be such a gauche, such a, a groundbreaking type of script and a groundbreaking type of performance because, uh, you know, uh, Robert Preston playing like an old queen, I'm assuming he's straight, was probably like, wow, this is such a brave choice to play a gay guy because, you know, nothing is more unforgivable than being a gay person. So the fact that you chose to portray one of those disgusting things, like, wow, give him an Oscar, you know. <laughs> Again, it's a product of its time. I understand that. But I am, I would be curious to see, you know, like what maybe like a, a trans person watching something like this, how they might feel about sort of the cross-dressing element and how to prove her gender, she had to like show her genitals. Like, you know, a lot of things like that obviously don't don't age well, but I would be curious to see like if Victor Victoria is maybe like a beloved movie um, for the LGBTQ community in the same way that like Rocky Horror is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I kind of, I wonder that because I, I, this is my first time I've ever seen it. And it's the first time that I've ever really, um, you know, really heard about it or experienced it. So I guess maybe not, I guess maybe I'm kind of answering my own question. Um, but yeah. So wh- what did you, what did you think about this movie? Yeah. I was thinking that too, about how um, it would resonate with the queer community today. Cause mm-hmm. I had actually seen this movie as a kid. Oh, okay. And I think I, I think I watched it with my grandmother, but it was on TV, so there might have been like little things that were cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking it was fun. Like to me, this film is just like a campy, it's rompy, fluff. fun time. Yeah. Like it doesn't take itself too seriously, mm-hmm. which I think works well for the film right like it it, like like the like we said like the illusion is so whatever and the um the random things that they choose to show as the differences between men and women are just so like odd i know but you you know that they're only doing it for laughs like they're not doing that for anything else and for a film that premiered in 1982 i thought they did probably show like queer love and like gay couples in a positive light. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't think it's like, to me, it's not like let's cancel this film, but it's like, it's nice to be like, Oh, that happened. And we've moved on from that. Yeah. Kind of like Will and Grace a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, I love Will and Grace. I fully understand the argument of why people are like, you know, fuck Will and Grace. It's like, I get it through the lens of like, I understand, but like, you know, we can just move on from what it was because it did contribute to representation and it did contribute to, it's, it's always kind of just like a jumping off point, you know? And, um, at the beginning of the movie, you know, the film, it opens on, you know, Julie Andrews being this starving artist, like literally a starving artist, like wandering the streets in the winter of like France or wherever it is. And then she gets almost raped by her landlord because it's a comedy. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, oh, wow. And then I was like, is this a comedy or is this like, you know what I like? Is this going to be like a Francis kind of I want to be an actress movie, right. you know? And I was like, oh, dear God, like, where is this going? But no, it it is fluff. It is a light movie. And, you know, it's enjoyable. 
um leslie ann warren's voice and accent she also brought that to the table like that like oh miss that you treat me so well daddy like that (laughs) voice like that that was all like she just made that up and you know it's yeah it's just it's camp the whole movie is just camp if you can just go into it being like it's just going to be a fun fluffy movie um again i really think that it was the subject matter that was groundbreaking i don't really know if I mean, I would almost say that um, Robert Preston, for me, was more interesting than Julie Andrews' character because when she starts to sing, I do not see anybody else other than Julie Andrews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm very aware that I'm watching. I'm not seeing the character anymore. I'm just watching Julie Andrews because she has such a distinct voice. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this might elicit the gay gasp, but I don't know if I've ever seen Julie Andrews play anybody else other than julie andrews she kind of has a bit of that julia roberts thing going on where it's like i was thinking the same thing she is yeah she is close to the same person in everything that she does and it's like i'm not mad at her for it like there's just there is something to be said about those type of performers as well it's like maybe she doesn't have the greatest range but she's still a fantastic performer obviously and fantastic actress but yeah, like, I think that um, for me, I just really enjoyed the androgyny of the costumes. Mm-hmm. And I loved like the, the I, I love any time that people go against the grain of like what gender is. And I've always found that very sexy and very interesting in my own way. So this was just a really interesting movie, a really great performance by Julie Andrews, really great singing, really great dancing. Um, and you know, it would honestly be a movie that I would probably watch again. She actually won the golden globe for best performance by an actress in a comedy musical, you know? Mm. So this was a critically acclaimed movie. I think that she won one of the major like indie awards. Like, I don't know, let's say it was like the New York film critics or something like this. She had won and tied with Meryl Streep for Sophie's choice. Wild. I know for this movie. So, so at that time, this movie was regarded, you know, with very high critical praise. So, you know, there is something to be said there. I don't know if it, if we look back on it retroactively and maybe we would have that same opinion. Um, I do think that that does rely heavily on the subject matter and the costumes. Um, But, you know, like great movie, great performance, really enjoyable. You know what I think this movie is missing? What? A better song. Yeah. It like there was a better song. Like like all the other like Julie Andrews movies, it's like you know the songs. Yeah. And in this one, it's like the songs are not very memorable. I agree. That's so true. I didn't even think about that, but that is so true. Because there was that one something she likes the jazz, the hard jazz or something. Yeah, yeah. I kind of vaguely remember that one, but uh, that is a very good point. You think a Julie Andrews movie, you would think that there would be some sort of a best original song moment. Yeah. And it just didn't really have it. I mean, she like the songs that are there, she's giving it her all, but it's like not that memorable of a song. I think one of the funnier moments is whenever the bodyguard comes out of the hotel room after he was like hiding in there. Cause he's trying to get like Intel on yeah. the, the, the gay couple or the quote unquote gay couple. And he's covered in snow cause he was hiding on the balcony and the neighbor across the hall is staring at him. And then he goes, do you have heat in your room? And then the neighbor's like, yeah. And he's like, boy, you're lucky. I thought that was a really, 
I thought that was a really funny line. Um, and do you remember near the end when they threw the old lady into the piano? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, they're like swinging that old lady. I'm like, oh, are they about to? Oh, wow, they just threw her into the piano. <laughs> like such campy humor, right? Like, yeah. like the, the scene in the in the restaurant where, where she brings the cockroach, that is the scene I remember most from okay. watching it as a kid. Because okay. I like that. Just I don't know why. Maybe because I hate bugs. That stayed with me. So Julie Andrews in real life hates cockroaches. So that was a very real reaction. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure she does not come across as a woman who can handle being near a cockroach. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, just one more thing. I'm just going to mention. Uh, do you remember the uh, the main love interest there? The the I cannot think of his name right now, but he like spent the night at the gay bar, and then he had to like go to a straight bar after and assault someone to express himself. Yes, <laughs> that was I thought a really funny move. Uh, I thought that was a really funny moment. And I was like, is this supposed to be a joke, or is this supposed to be like I need to let off steam because I need to hate crime someone? I don't know. That was <laughs> that that was a weird moment. Uh, but yeah, Julie Andrews. A great campy flick. Uh, definitely something I'll revisit. I will also revisit Francis. There were a couple of gems in in this year for, for nominees. Yeah. Uh, but I, told, I think you really uh, hit the nail on the head with that one about where is that iconic song or where, where is that song from the movie? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? No, I'm good. Okay, let's talk about this one I'm so excited to talk about. Let's talk about Deborah Winger in An Officer and a Gentleman. Oh, boy. So this was her first Academy Award nomination for a lead role. Uh, well, just or her first Academy Award nomination, and it was also for a lead role. Um, so let's just talk about An Officer and a Gentleman. So um, very, very quickly, a couple of facts um, about this uh, movie. So Richard Gere only did this movie for the money, uh, and it was... <laughs> Yep. And you're like, yeah, I could see that. And it was the biggest box office hit until Pretty Woman. Uh, Richard Gere and Deborah Winger had so much tension on this film while filming because Gere basically saw how good Deborah Winger was at acting and felt threatened. And so he was naturally a piece of shit to her. Oh, Uh, wow. Yep. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. won the Best Supporting Actor Academy Award playing the drill sergeant, the famous line, steers and queers. Uh, was, uh, yes, he was the first uh, black actor to win a Best Supporting Actor Oscar, and he was the first black man to win an Oscar since Sidney Poitier won. Um, And Deborah Winger actually despises this movie and likes to deny that she had any involvement in it as a joke. Um, John Travolta turned down the lead role on the advice of his agent, which is interesting. And uh, the role of Paula, uh, or Deborah Winger's character, was given to Sigourney Weaver, then Angelica Houston, then to Jennifer Jason Lee, and then to Deborah Winger. Whoa. She negotiated her own contract for this film, which later bit her in the ass, like as in without an agent, which later came to bite her in the ass because there was a nude scene that she did not want to do. And she couldn't get out of it because it was part of the contract. Oh, my God. Yes. So Deborah Winger in this movie is kind of one of the local people um, near a military base. And then, uh, you know, you have Richard Gere coming in who is going to be part of the Air Force. And they're all warned about the local white trash that's going to try and 
you know, poke holes in your condoms and you're going to get them pregnant and then they're going to trap you. And they're like, don't get trapped by these local hussies. And then Richard Gere falls in love with one of them and then, you know, goes and gets her at the box factory. And then love lifts us up where we belong. (laughs) And I will, okay, before we get into it, I just have to say one quick little anecdote. I will never forget It was Valentine's Day. I was working at Starbucks as a barista because I'm gay. (laughs) And it was Valentine's Day and I was being verbally abused by somebody about a latte because, you know, they paid $5 so they can, of course, verbally assault me. It's fine. And they were like verbally abusing me about it was made wrong or they want it made again or, you know, something like this. And I remember I had to remake this stupid fucking latte like two or three times. And I remember while I was just being like verbally assaulted by this person, this song, Love lifts us up where we belong, where the eagles. I I remember just thinking the irony of the situation that I burst out laughing and then the customer got really angry that I was laughing. I never saw this customer again, but every time I hear this song, I just think about the irony of that moment and how funny it was to me. Oh my God. Um, but anyway, that's so great. That, that song went to number one and also won the Oscar for best original song. Uh, but anyway, so mm-hmm. the movie uh, officer, an officer and a gentleman centers around Richard Gere. It opens on daddy issues. And as a gay man off the top, I'm hooked. <laughs> you have, you have, uh, you know, the drill sergeant, you know, the, I only see steers and queers using homophobia to motivate his, uh, his soldiers, uh, which I just think it would be a funny sketch where it would just be like, you have that same scene where it's like, I only see steers and queers. I don't see any steers around here, boss. So that makes you a queer. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> and I would just like to see the reaction there and, and how that would unfold. Um, yeah. So all of the men are, are warned about the local white trash girls trying to steal a man. And then um, 45 minutes into the movie, you don't really see, Deborah Winger much. She doesn't really have much an emotional range. Her whole world is surrounded by the success of the relationship with Richard Gere because the only thing and the only way that she can be happy is if she lands a man and gets pregnant, or at least this is what I was taking from the story. And then she tries to play like the cool girl. It's like, no, like it's fine. Like if I get pregnant, like it's my fault. Like it's, I was just glad to witness your process and uh, like, I'll go and I don't know, get rid of the baby on my own. Like, don't worry about it. You got a, a, a like a career to worry about. Forget about me. Like there was this weird, like I'm a cool girl moment that just became really annoying. And I understood that why her character would have to go along with that. And it, it's just, this role <laughs> is just, there's really not much there. It's just a lot of her reacting to him and whether or not they're going to get together where like, there's so much more interesting stuff going on with his character about like, you know, him getting into the military, his friend who commits suicide, um, his relationship with his father that they kind of just gave up on uh, that storyline. I mean, it was like, what yeah. ended up happening? I don't know. Apparently in the original script, the dad actually came to the military base and there was a more of a story, but they cut it. Wild. Um, 
Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but Deborah Winger's character and her storyline, uh, I will just say, I can understand why she despises this movie and likes to deny that she had any involvement in it. That, I'm, the fact that she, I didn't know that un- until just now, the fact that she um, disapproves of this film so much is a, a strong redeeming quality for her because <laughs> yikes this movie is a yikes it's it, yeah <laughs> i i mean it, and then and i feel bad because like you said like the supporting actor is only the the second black man to win an oscar for acting mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he is the best part of the film yeah but the film is garbage I know. Like, like right off the top, there is extremely uh, offensive material uh, towards the Filipino community. Uh, mm. Do not revisit this film if you're Filipino, or nobody should revisit this film. This film, but unless you want to write a letter to the studio like forty years later, that would be a good idea. But because it maybe even should be cut out of future viewings of the movie it's so bad like and it's so senseless it's so meaningless that Uh it shouldn't even be there um it doesn't really serve the story enough there is a lot of daddy issues off the top which i think they just use to explain why richard Gere is a complicated guy but it Uh doesn't do anything other than that, no. the fact that you said that they had that in there and they cut it out, what a mm-hmm. stupid, silly decision <laughs> that was probably only financially based and, and nothing else. Um, if this was just a male-centered um, film, I can't believe I'm about to say this full sentence. If this was a, just, <laughs> if this was just a male-centered film, it would have been a better movie. Like Top Gun. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like the fact that they try to have any kind of female perspective, but then not really in this movie is so bad. Like, and then, and then, oh God, sorry. There's just so much I want to say. I'm trying to like collect all my Ah. thoughts about it. So, so Deborah and her friend, I can't remember her friend's name. These two Mm. girls are basically like, we're here to get a man that's her only goal and then and then deborah's character paula is like uh you're not actually gonna trap him are you and she's like "Uh i don't know and then so she's like actively trying to uh get impregnated to trick this man into falling in love with her the friend is and then paula is like i'm better than you i'm gonna trick this guy into falling in love with me without getting pregnant yeah (laughs) and it's like oh what and then and then i don't know i don't we have to talk about the end but i don't know if we're we're jumping there too quick i don't know if we want to respond to anything i just said oh well i will just say okay so her name was lynette lynette was the friend was the name of the friend and yes so basically yeah like the Clearly, this is written by a guy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? First of all, like, what do women? What do women want? It's like all they want is money and a baby. But then, whenever there's things that contradicted, like Deborah Winger, like her character, like she would contradict herself. Like, for example, so yeah, forty five minutes into the movie, you haven't really seen much of her. Then she gets extremely emotional for 
kind of like she goes to a 12 and she's like, it wouldn't kill you to open up to me. You ain't no officer. And then she switches into, I just want to have a good time with you. Like the line that basically precedes it. And then you're like, well, you were pretty emotional like two seconds ago. And now you're like, no, like I just want to be the chill girl. You know, like I watch sports. Like I'm a cool yeah, girl. Like it was very like, I have low self-esteem. I have no hopes for my future at all based on the world that this film mm. creates. Yeah, uh, 100%. my entire self value and self worth is wrapped up in you being with me, and without that, I have nothing. Exactly, it sends such a horrible message to women, and then she begins to realize that she's falling for him. This is her only conflict in the movie. There, there's really not much other to her character than than just, her whole world is just Richard Gear, and. Uh, you know, th then you find out that her real father uh, was an officer. So then, okay, there's like a new layer of conflict Freudian. and sympathy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it doesn't really go anywhere. They kind of just mention it. And then it just kind of doesn't really go anywhere. And then uh, she gets over it immediately. Like just like an emotional Frankenstein moment. Like nothing, like you don't see any remorse. You don't see any sadness of her character. She just immediately starts dating somebody and she's just totally over it. And it's totally fine. And then Sid, uh, commits suicide because Lynette, the manipulating evil temptress, like her whole plan has backfired. So then Sid has now committed suicide. Um, if anything, I thought that him and the uh, drill sergeant were the only interesting part of the movie. And then, out of nowhere, Deborah Winger's like, but I am in love with you. I've always been in love with you. He, uh, Richard Gere, runs away. And then, inexplicably, he just comes into her workplace, <laughs> picks her up, and walks out. And, like, they're like, hi, like, you have three hours... Yeah. <laughs> yeah and you're just like what like it was so but at the time this was like the biggest moment in movie history this was such a cinematic event like this was iconic and you're yeah. it just it doesn't age well, well i guess and, and like i i had seen that clip of the end of the movie before mm -hmm. um but i had never seen the movie and then yeah. when lynette looks at her and just starts clapping and goes, <laughs> way to go, Paula. I literally screamed, the fuck? <laughs> As I was watching this movie. You, like, this woman has just, has ended a, has had faked a pregnancy, yeah. then ended a relationship, which she found out he immediately killed himself because he had then lost his purpose in life and all she does like we never see her react to his death so then all she does is go way to go paula and starts <laughs> clapping for her it worked out for one of us like you got out of this shit town and i didn't like yeah <laughs> and i don't care that this guy killed himself whoop de dip de do like 
What? <laughs> I think that whenever any kind of movie going forward in my life, if there's just like a scene or because you're, you know, you're in writing rooms and stuff like that. I think that what you need to just always pitch is when a scene <laughs> makes no sense. Just distract with lovely where we blow and just end every scene in that and then just credits. My God. (laughs) I mean, like the only thing I can honestly give that scene is that it is shot well. Right? Like cinematically, it's shot nicely. The music Mm -hmm. turns up like from a technical perspective and then she has that like backflip where the hair comes like the the hat comes off and the hair flows like Mm -hmm. which is very cheesy but it's like okay this was cinematically (laughs) shot very well and that's about the only good thing i could say about it you know i love deborah winger as an actress because um she has she like has like the looks and the beauty of a movie star but she has like the voice of goofy (laughs) and i just love that juxtaposition and she has that raspy kind of like boyish voice i think it's really cute um Okay, so just for time's sake, I think we're, we're just going to have to move on. Um, let's talk about uh, Sissy Spacek in the movie Missing. So we're getting back on track here with like a legitimate movie. We're getting mm. back here with like a legitimate performance and a sympathetic character and a complicated character. So um, I, I actually, I, I feel like I should probably like look up uh a description so uh just to give it justice so Mm -hmm. imdb when an idealistic american writer disappears during the chilean coup d'etat in september in 1973 his wife and father try to find him the father is played by jack lemon and sissy spacek is the wife and john shea is the uh missing uh person you do spoiler alert 40 years later find out that in the end he was brought to some stadium and he was uh killed and buried and his body was eventually identified and then sent back to um the states like months and months later but basically this is a very political movie about um what was going on during this yeah coup d'etat in 1973 in uh chile and um i mean listen i'm gonna be honest with you did i look up what this conflict was about this is not going to be a history lesson for anybody listening this is not going to be we're just going to be focusing on the performance here. If you would like to know more about this uh, coup d'etat in Chile during this time, uh, go ahead and Wikipedia it. But th- that's not what this is going to be about. But yeah. we will. The film this... claims that it's quite accurate off the top. And the American uh, public. So actually, the Reagan administration during this time was very against this movie because it was heavily implied that the United States had something to do with the coup d'etat and the occupation of Chile during this time. Mm -hmm. And so this was a very rejected movie. Um, And uh, during the, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, probably Pinochet dictatorship in Chile in 1973 to 1999, this picture was banned. Right. Um, That makes sense. So basically, yeah, Sissy Spacek is looking for her husband. And for anybody that hasn't seen the movie, uh, basically, there's like a curfew at one point and people have guns. And uh, it's basically like the streets become like a purge lockdown, if you will. And the streets are lined with dead bodies. Uh, It's a very heavy movie. And basically, Jack Lemmon comes down from the States as an American citizen to work with the American embassy, uh, which, frankly, they're not really doing anything to help. Uh, and they're not using all of their resources as they can, which again, 
you know, adds to the, well, it feels like you guys might be contributing to this and this might be the America, uh, Americans fault or America's fault. Why like all of this is happening in Chile and Sissy Spacek basically is the wife of the missing person who simply just like never listens to the American embassy and doesn't care about that because she's very anti-establishment. Um, I'm assuming she is because it's like 1973. So maybe she was like a hippie, you know, where yeah. it's all like anti-Vietnam, anti this, anti this. So, so I'm assuming that's probably where that character was coming from. And uh, because she's anti-establishment and distrustful of like everyone, it's like she goes to the rebels and like the left-wing like writers and stuff like this to try and find him. And it's a very interesting movie. They never obviously end up finding him because he was killed, but it's sort of just the journey of them. Like, I guess, I guess it would be about Jack Lemon, like understanding that there's a whole other world outside of America that's unjust or something. Like, you know, there, yeah. there were a lot of things going on in this movie. Um, what did you what did you think as a movie i think this film is fantastic like mm -hmm. i uh it's a little long but you know that's kind of what how it goes with older films um yeah. there's so much like um well i'm an american and blah 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 and this is how things are are supposed to be and i found all of that to be really like um discouraging to watch but it's mm -hmm. all very real Right. Yes. That, they, that that Americans and maybe even Canadians to a point will travel and think like, you know, well, hey, I'm from this country and I have privilege. And so I should be treated differently yes. than and better than all the local people here. And I'm going to and I'm going to exercise that privilege and in a very entitled way. And there's a lot of moments where, for me, I don't know about you, or I was like rolling my eyes, like, oh my God, these people are so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the way they were conducting yeah. themselves during the middle mm -hmm. of a civil war. Um, yeah. You know, like they acted like they weren't a part of it, even though they were right there. But then you see as the film goes on, you know, how much they're they're affected by their surroundings, how much they're affected by the the lack of justice and kind of their loss of innocence as they try to find um, this missing person. And also too, we get to see like them actually go missing, which I mm -hmm. think was good for the film to do. And, mm -hmm. um, and then as we're watching the movie, we don't know if he's dead or not dead until kind of the end. And uh, it, yeah, I, to me, this was a, a fantastic political thriller. Um, I think mm -hmm. I like it more as a movie than I do as a sissy SpaceX performance. Not that she has a bad performance, but no. I just I think she's great in the film, actually. But she's the same from the beginning to end. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you mean. I think at the very beginning, whenever she you see the relief of him coming in, she thought he was missing for like a week or two, and then you see her relief. And then whenever uh, you hear guns outside, she's, she's scared and she wants to get out of there. To me, she just seemed like such a real person. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because Sissy Spacek has the most distinct facial features that it's almost very difficult to see her lose herself in a role mm. like when you look at her but then her acting is so convincing it's like I'm very like I it's one of those things where it easily could just be like I'm very aware that I'm watching Sissy Spacek but for me that was not the case with this movie right. I believed that she was this person I believed in her anxiety I believed that she wanted to get out of there and I think that um 
the most interesting parts of the movie for me were sort of the conflict between her and Jack Lemmon. I also am going to put out that I am so thankful because it's the 1980s and, you know, with like age differences and stuff like that, that was not a thing back then, that it did not become a romantic thing between her and because I was like, oh, please, please, please. I'm like, I am so creeped up. Please do not go down this road. Like father-in-law. Yeah, I was like, I cannot because, you know, when she starts sympathizing with him, whenever he starts getting like obsessed, like up, like up upset about like you know hearing the liberal hippies and anti-establishment and then he starts snapping back at some of the younger folks and then she's like oh don't you get started and i was like oh no Mm -hmm. i was like i really hope that they're not doing that like you know (laughs) like uh and i i was i was just really glad that it it didn't go down that route but the the conflict between her and jack lemon were um some really nice uh acting moments like whenever um whenever she's like terrified uh and worried for her husband uh, in Jack Lemon's uh, hotel room, I thought that was a really, really nice scene. Um, and I do agree with you that the the performance is just kind of for her, like very high anxiety. She has one goal in mind, and she's carrying it throughout the whole picture. Yeah, like is there like a sorry? Go yeah, ahead. like there's not a big arc or anything like that, but it's very well acted. Yeah, like I think like Jack Lemon's character goes through a real character transformation. Mm-hmm. And I just felt, and he actually did win Best Supporting Actor for this mm-hmm. movie. No, he was nominated for. Oh, he was nominated. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Of course, we just said who won because he was in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, but he was nominated for this. Yeah, I felt like he went through this real journey where, and, like, I felt like the two of them did a great job of, like, taking turns of being, like, the panicked one and then the one that calms the other person down because that's probably very real. Mm-hmm. Um, in such a high, um, intense situation like that, I just felt like they could have given her a bit more of an arc, but I wouldn't hold that against Sissy Spacek by any means. I just feel like that would be a mm-hmm. bit more in the writing, actually, if anything, that she would just have a stronger arc, maybe just like maybe being a bit more naive at first. And then we see her like be less naive towards the end where I felt like she was, I do like that she was always strong in her convictions and that never weighed, but yeah, I don't know. But I do think it's a great movie. I agree with you. I do think it's a really good movie. I think for me, her Oscar moment is when they're in the stadium and she calls out to Charlie looking for him. That was such a real moment that really brought me in. And I, I, I got a little emotional watching that, um, because you can hear the desperation in her voice but also I think that she is also like being realistic about the moment. That scene and... is so good because mm-hmm. it's like you have both her and Jacqueline being incredibly emotional. This is like a last kind of like, well, not the very last, but a somewhat last ditched effort. And and then they kind of looking out at the crowd and they they kind of realize how empty this is like mm-hmm. of, of a thing for them to do. But they tried anyways because they have to. But they're looking at all these other people who are essentially prisoners in this stadium. And it's like their family doesn't get the chance to come out here on the mic and and say something. And there's almost like a hint of awareness of that. But they can't like focus on that. They just have to focus on themselves. And then that moment where like they think they see him but it's somebody else and he kind of mocks them and yells out about ice cream with their dinner. Mm-hmm. 
and it's just like wow like it's it's really powerful i did cry watching this movie it was a really really good movie it was almost like a la spotlight kind of thing where you have a couple of the performances that are singled out for acting you know would they end up going to win Probably not, but their incredible acting does make an incredible movie. So, you know, maybe, but, um, yeah, you know, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that another nice moment that she had is whenever she sees that other American's body in like that giant pile and she refuses to leave because she's not just going to be this hysterical woman and that she can handle it. I think that was a really nice moment as well. Yeah, that was, that was actually, that's also another Oscar moment for her. That was phenomenal. Um, maybe I'm not giving her enough credit for her range of emotions. Maybe it's okay that she was just so high anxiety, high tense, and it is such a tense situation that it deserves that, that maybe she didn't need as strong of a character arc as I would like to see. But, um, the only other thing I'll say is, uh, Jack Lemmon for anybody who doesn't know is an iconic comedic actor. Um, he was in uh, some like it hot with Marilyn Monroe and so many other things in the, in the fifties and sixties, they'd be too long to, to name. So this is my, yeah, yeah, like it was so wild to see him in this dramatic role. I, it was, it was really great. I know. I mean, at that point he had already had two Oscars. So like he had proven himself as a dramatic actor, but yeah, it's always so yeah. nice whenever you see, cause comedians can do drama, but drama can't necessarily do comedy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he probably is like, Oh, I'm not going to say the first, but I'm sure he's like uh, a pillar of people who pioneered that. Oh, probably. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, okay. Well, anyway, just for, for time's sake, we do have to move on. Uh, no, no, no. That's quite all right. Do you have anything else that you want to add though to Sissy's performance before we move on? No, just well done. It was great. I agree. Well done. Really uh, great performance and uh, something uh, aside of her that I'd actually never really seen before. Um, okay. So let's talk about the winner, Meryl Streep in the movie, Sophie's Choice. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. <laughs> So I've seen this movie many, many times, but every time that I've seen this movie, I always remember it for the scenes of the Holocaust. And whenever I watched it about a year ago, because it was like on sale on like Apple TV for like $7, it was like you could rent it for $4 or just buy it for 7 I'm like, whatever, I'll just buy the movie. Mm. And then um, watching it, I remember being so bored because I was like, oh my God, like I just remember this movie being so much more dark and so much more... And I remember being frustrated because I just wanted to get to those scenes. But this time around, when I watched it, I considered it from start to finish. And I understood the movie in a much um, different and more profound way to actually watch Sophie's journey. Mm. And I have to say that, like, oh, my God, like, this movie has, like... (laughs) When I turned off that movie about, like, two hours ago, like, it just... (laughs) I just sat in it. I was like, oh, like it's such heavy subject matter. It's so realistic. It's so believable. And holy fucking shit. I mean, Meryl Streep learned to speak Polish and German for the role. And she even learned how to have like a proper accent in each one. And then she would have like a Polish accent whenever she was speaking with German. But then when she would speak in German with certain people, she'd have like a perfect German accent. Mm -hmm. And then when she was speaking English, she'd have like a bit of a thick Polish accent. She actually learned how to have a proper Polish accent from uh, there was one of the assistants that was working on the film. I, (laughs) I hope that the assistant was okay with that. Uh, 
Meryl Streep actually begged the director, Alan J. Pakula, for this role. Uh, she was literally on her hands and knees begging for it. And the other people that were up for the role were Marlene Keller and Barbara Streisand. And uh, Streep did the, you know, the choice scene where she selects her daughter because, you know, we only pick one child to live and she selects her daughter. Um, she only did uh, that scene in one take and she only did it one time uh, because as a mother, she found it too emotionally draining. Wow. Well, she picks the it, son to live. Yes, that's right. Yes. What I'm saying is she yeah. picked the daughter to, oh, to sorry. die. Yeah, of course. Um, in 1986, Meryl Streep was on the Oprah Winfrey show and the choice scene was shown and Streep was very, very visibly uncomfortable because she'd actually never watched the scene before. Oh, wow. So in the movie, it kind of, you, you don't really know if you don't know what it's about going into it. You just think it's like this story with Kevin Klein being like this emotion, basically this abusive boyfriend and she's in an abusive relationship um and then peter mcnichol aka stingo odd name cub comes into like the house that they're all kind of living in and then they have like strong thruple energy going on throughout the movie and um basically you see sophie being this victim And you're like wondering why she puts up with the abuse so much. But then as the movie goes on, you start to find out that, you know, she had a husband, she had children, she has the tattoo from Auschwitz on her arm. And you're like, oh, like there's more to this person. And the way that they reveal her background is very well done, extremely well acted. You know, there's a reason that this performance is regarded as one of the greatest acting performances of all time. This is the movie that was like Meryl, you know, mm-hmm. this is the movie that like launched her into the stratosphere. It was such a good performance that I think to date, it's one of those things where everything gets compared to this performance for her. Like she'll mm-hmm. always be in competition with Sophie's choice because it's like, oh yeah, like this is an amazing performance. Let's nominate her for it. But was it as good as Sophie's choice? No. Okay. Well then we're not going to let her mm-hmm. win another Oscar. Um, in this movie. Yeah. She's speaking multiple languages, multiple accents. You see Sophie before, after, during it's so real. It's so believable. It's so heavy. Um, I mean, obviously she was going to win this Oscar. You have the biggest competition in here, I think would be, um, certainly Jessica Lange for Francis. Uh, but I can obviously see like why she won this. What did you think about this movie? What did you think about this performance? So I had not seen this movie before. Now, of course I've heard of it because it's iconic and Sophie's choice is like an expression now that people say, when you have right. to make an impossible decision, like it's that, it's that popular, but I'd never mm-hmm. seen it. And I knew there was something about the kids, but you know, I, I like to go into movies knowing as little as possible. And then Same. I like to learn yeah. about it after. And so, um, I think this film is like, <laughs> this film is near perfect. Like it's a perfect movie. Um, mm. the only thing wrong with it is the fact that that guy's name is Stingo. Like it is, <laughs> it is such a, it, it's such a weird choice of a name. I, I it's so, it, I even Googled, is that a name? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was like, is this just like a, is this an actual name that people have? And I've just missed it for whatever reason. It's not a name. The Stingo ate her baby. Yeah. 
<laughs> so it's just like it's just distracting you know because it's, <laughs> it's comic relief without trying to be yeah but but that's it like other than that i i think the way they chose to tell her story was the was the perfect and best way to do it because i think like um they have these like flashbacks and they're long but they deserve mm. to be long like this is a this mm. is a movie that deserves its length and i would you know you're not cutting anything out of this movie and mm-hmm. and the and in a, any other movie like long flashbacks like that wouldn't necessarily work but in mm-hmm. this they really really work like you said like Meryl put so much uh effort into this role there's not one thing that she does wrong you know in it and not only isn't there anything that she does wrong she does everything so right that mm-hmm. it's like it it hits you and so and like you said this is the movie that made her meryl um the only other thing i'll say is like kevin klein robbed of an oscar nomination in my opinion not that i've seen every movie but i'm like he was also like i felt in their scenes together where he was going toe-to-toe with her I think so too. I think that he was nominated for a Golden Globe for like best newcomer to film or something like this. Um, but I definitely think that it's so interesting to to me the way that you see Sophie as this broken down, goes with whatever and doesn't care kind of um character and then you're thinking like well why are you so complacent with this abuse and why do you just allow right. all of this to happen and there's this part of her where it's like you find out like through these flashbacks that it's like she believes that she deserves this yes. she believes that she has to go it's such a realistic performance it's such a real character that it's like I don't see Meryl Streep in this movie. I see, like, for example, like when I watch like Florence Foster Jenkins, like I'm very aware that I'm watching Meryl Streep. But in this, it's like, it's just all I see is Sophie and this story because she's like a real person. I feel like I'm watching like a biography or something like it's, it's really that good. And um, of course, the scene, like the choice scene is of course, one of the best scenes in the movie and one of the best acting performances in the movie. But she also has so many other amazing scenes. Like whenever she talks about how Christ turned his face away from me and the difficulty that she has speaking, um, you know, about the pain mm. of her past. And uh, whenever she she's in like the reference library and the fucking nerdy librarian working behind the desk will not let the easy thing slide. Like, because <laughs> she's looking for Dickens and she's looking for the wrong first name of Dickens. And he's like, there is no. Su-. It's like, clearly, you know what she means. Yeah. Just fucking help her out, you asshole. But just and then she collapses. Kevin Klein comes and saves her. And then she is like anemic at one point. It's just all of it was so realistic. It was so believable. You had sympathy for her character throughout, mm-hmm. even though, you know, she has done, in her opinion, regrettable things that obviously she didn't have a choice. You feel her pain and you feel how that pain haunts her and how that how she carries that pain um, in all of her scenes with uh, Kevin Klein. It's just a masterclass of acting. It is just... Fritz Bernays, it's no question. It's just chef's kiss. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, oh, I will say though, I like somebody that, you know, go, cause I'm also a person that doesn't really like to find out too much about the movie before going into it. But when the movie opens basically on domestic abuse of Sophie, you have this moment where you're like, Whoa, well, I hope that's the worst thing that happens to her in this movie. <laughs> right. And then it just, Oh, wow. Like it just, it, it goes from bad to worse to just unforgivable. Yeah. Like it, the, yeah, and the thruple energy is like so uh, wild in the in the beginning. Like you think the film's gonna go in a really different direction. Um, also, too, it gave me um, a bit of like a Great Gatsby vibe because of uh, yeah. uh, Nick. What's his name? Nick Carraway. That character, the way he like narrates uh, Gatsby's life and how he's like sort of like fant like he's so fascinated by his love for this other woman and like mm-hmm. i thought i i felt the film directly took from that as a narrative tool to tell the story i think one of the best scenes that she has is just the desperation of her character during the holocaust but especially whenever she gets caught by that little girl mm-hmm. when she's attempting to steal the radio mm-hmm. And the fear that she is experiencing and the desperation of getting her to try getting the daughter to believe her. And then she sits down with her and then she's trying to like, kind of go like, okay, like, are you going to tell on me? Like, Oh my God, that kind of scene I can only imagine would be so difficult to film with a child having the most power. And you have to be this like vulnerable adult in front of a child in that way. And the child has, I can't even imagine how difficult that would be to feel like, I mean, obviously there were so many difficult scenes in this movie, Mm. but just that one specifically really stood out to me where I was like, wow, like that's really impressive. Like giving all the power, it's such a generous scene that she's giving to the child, you know? Um, She did a really interesting balance of victim and survivor narrative at the same time. Mm. Um, it's such a complex layered performance that, um, I felt like I was trapped in an abusive relationship with Kevin Klein, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it really brings I also, you in that much. Yeah. But also what happened in the end? Was it like a suicide pack? I think so. Or did he kill her? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I cannot get the score out of my head. The like, do, 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 I was like, I can't get that out of my head. It's like, oh, but this movie was so real. I interpreted it as a murder suicide. Yeah. But I I also, maybe that she was okay to go along with it. Cause he was, he was out of his mind. Right. Uh, As a schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. she was struggling so much with a will to live that Mm -hmm. I could see I don't know. Like she could have a bit of a of a of a of a giving in or a giving up kind of moment in it, but mm-hmm. not I don't think she like initiated it. I think um one thing that I thought this is just a random little fact that I thought was really really funny was um she Meryl Streep had just won the BAFTA for best lead actress for the French Lieutenant's Woman in 1982 and then in 1983 she was nominated at the baftas for sophie's choice and basically she won every single award for sophie's choice except for the bafta because she lost to julie walters for the movie educating rita and i have seen educating rita it's one of my favorite movies it's basically like legally blonde but a little bit more serious with michael caine anyway and julie walters that's uh, mrs weasley anyway 
the fact that Julie Walters walked away with the best actress for educating Rita over fucking Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice is just comedy to me. But yeah, um, who, who did Meryl Streep not have lunch with, you know? I know, yeah, exactly. Like, 100%. She must have pissed somebody off. Yeah. But if Meryl Streep wouldn't have won this Oscar, I feel like it would have been like a Betty Davis of human bondage moment where they would just give her another award sort of retroactively to like make up for the fact that she didn't win for this because it really is that good. But I think that like the strongest contender of her competition for this Oscar was um, a lot of people say that it's uh, Jessica Lang for Francis. And I actually agree with that. If she did walk away with that Oscar, I'd be like, yeah, no, for sure. But um, this is, listen, I never on this podcast like to give away spoilers of like, oh my God, who am I going to pick? But I mean, come on. <laughs> let's just, let's just go. Okay. So you're the guest. So let's just go ahead and reveal who we think that the Oscar should have gone to. You're my guest. So please, you'll go first. I think the Oscar should have gone to. Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. I think <laughs> oh my God. she deserves several Oscars. I mean, it, like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Jessica Lange has like the performance of her lifetime and it just happens yes. to be at the same time as Meryl Streep. It's like, like I'm a basketball fan. So it just reminds me of like every time a team went up against Michael Jordan and like right. the six years of his prime, like, yeah, you're all great. But, you know, it just happened. It just happened at the same time as Jordan. And like sometimes like then the breaks like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I looked at the list, I was like, wow, talk about icons, you know, as far as of actresses go in, in the last like literally century. Um, yeah. That I was so excited to to dive into this. And, and uh, I mean, Deborah Winger, I mean, that would be like nominating Reese Witherspoon and Legally Blonde like you mentioned I know. in the same year as Halle Berry for Monsters Ball like you're not in the same league like if I were Meryl Streep I would look at Deborah Winger in that movie and be like and have a full Mariah Carey moment and just be like I don't know her <laughs> like I don't know her because she is not on my level and she's not and it was she is not I okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's really funny. I definitely that's really funny. Okay, so I okay, I'll go ahead. So I think that the Oscars should have gone to Meryl Streep for Sophie's Choice. I feel like I was about to just be like Deborah Winger for fun. Uh but no, I mean, come on. Like, this episode was really funny because whenever we were doing it, I was like, I feel like I already know that I'm going to pick Meryl for this. But um, I think if anybody says like, oh, Jessica Lange should have won for that year. Meryl Streep's performance is so overrated. Those are people that are just contrarians that like to yeah. have an opposing opinion so that they seem interesting. You're Jordan Peterson at that point. hundred <laughs> percent. Exactly. It's just, I find it so annoying. It's like when there is a public opinion of basically like, this is an amazing thing. And I think that we can all agree on that. And someone's like, well, I don't agree with that. It's like, well, then you don't have taste. It's like, this is yeah. Don't just... you don't have to make it about you, you know? Exactly. It's like, it's like, shut up. It's like, this is one of the greatest acting performances of all time. This 
type of acting completely changed the way that we view actors and their range and what they can do. And now in modern acting, it's like the streep standard where it's like, well, how many accents can you do? Mm. How many different characters can you do? What's your range? Because oftentimes, especially for women, roles were very limited. And it was like, you know, the Julia Roberts effect where it's like, you're the it girl. And then you kind of play like the same kind of shopkeeper roles in a way. And then, you know, you like eventually, I don't know, hit 40. And then we just, you're gross to us now. But <laughs> Meryl kind of was like the Betty Davis of her generation, but like took it even farther yeah. and it just exploded. And she's still working. She has 21 or 22 or just a lot of fucking Oscar nominations, you know, and uh, there's a reason for it. She's one of the best. This is, this is one of the best performances. Yeah, this is my question for you. Is this her best movie? I think it's her I would I think it's her best performance, but as like a movie, no, it's the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> yeah. Which we, we did the last episode we had uh, we did together. And we, I mean, we also picked her. Yeah, yeah we too. also picked her over I think who actually won. But in any case, um I, I think uh I haven't seen every single Meryl Streep movie, but I feel in my heart it's got to be a top three. Sophie's Choice would probably be number two for me. I think for me, like, it's just a personal taste thing. I think for me, it's definitely, like, I would say, like, for me, it's just what I would watch would be The Devil Wears Prada. But yeah, Sophie's Choice is, like, a masterclass of acting that has set the standard of what actors refer to of, like, you know, what the standard is of like how your career will go. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, where can people find you on social media? Catherine Niger. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at it's me underscore Catherine spelt C A T H R Y N. And, uh, thanks again. This is a pleasure. Always. And we'll have to have you back again. Bye. Bye.